uh, in our last podcast, which was number five, which I think, uh, again, was presented, okay, we were introduced to the fourth vision of the book of Zechariah. And in that, Zechariah was set up to uh, observe uh, the angel of the Lord, who is the pre-incarnate Christ, and standing before the angel of the Lord is uh, jo- uh, Joshua, the high priest, and immediately to his right was Satan. And um, <clears throat> Satan is in the uh, traditional Hebrew world position of the accuser. But the angel of the Lord uh, does not allow Satan to speak and rebukes him twice, just, it just basically shuts him down. And um, uh, then uh, he turns and has angels that are there um, strip off the filthy garments of the high priest, Joshua, and replace them with these radiant robes. Uh, Zechariah interacts with this vision. He, he steps into it, and he instructs the angels to put a, a new clean, it's, it's a, it looks like a turban or it's a miter that the high priest would wear, put it on jo- uh, Joshua's head. <clears throat> then the Lord of hosts instructed the angels <clears throat> to, um, excuse me, uh, the, the Lord of hosts turns to, to Joshua and says, if you do these two things, you walk in my way and you, do, you, you satisfy all the service of the priesthood, then promises are going to follow. And so those two things were, you walk in righteousness with, uh, with the Lord and you rightly lead the worship to the Lord, then Promise number one was, Joshua, you're going to govern the whole temple. Promise number two was, you have, you have absolute control over all those outer courts and all those officiating things that have to happen for the worship to take place. And promise number three was, you have access, full access, open access to heaven. <clears throat> then the angel of the Lord turned to the other priests that were present in that vision and stating that they would be a sign and a wonder, a marvel in Judah, because they would be part of bringing to, uh, to pass the, the presentation of the servant of the Lord, the branch. Now recall Isaiah's prophecies where he said that there would be a sprout that would rise from the seemingly dead stump of the, um, <clears throat> the Davidic throne. And um, that, that, that sprout would become a branch and would become Messiah. Lastly, the angel sets a stone with seven eyes on it in front of Joshua, promising then to forgive all the sins of both Joshua and of the land in one day. chapter ended with a picture of that prosperity and safety with each man sitting under his own fig tree. Okay, we're preparing to go into chapter 4, so let's pray. So, Almighty One, uh, Lord God of hosts, We too cannot stand before you in our own filth and our own wrong choices. Thank you that the grace of God has swept those things away. Lord, as we walk with you and we we mature in you, we learn to be quick to ask for forgiveness, quick to be cleansed, quick, Lord Jesus, to to, um, uh, just step forward and walk in your ways. Our eyes uh, are open, Lord, but we need spiritual enhancement. We need eyes to see what's going on in in this next chapter, in chapter 4. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's open your Zechariah texts to chapter 4. 
In the first verse, Zechariah is asleep. Now, whether that was because he was exhausted, because there had been vision after vision after vision in the same night, and he's just exhausted. Or the Lord has put him to sleep. <clears throat> Regardless, the interpreting angel comes back, and the angel wakes him up and says, What do you see? And set before Zechariah was this, this amazing vision of a solid gold lampstand with a big bowl at the top of it, and beneath it, seven other lamps, seven lamps, with seven golden spouts. Next to the lampstand stood olive trees, one on the right and one on the left of this amazing uh, vision of this golden lampstand. Now, I tried to put these pictures up on the, on the screen here in low res. The ones I picked uh, were paintings that someone attempted to try and portray what Zechariah saw. So this is supposed to be an olive tree here, an olive tree on the other side. There's golden pipes that comes from each tree to the top bowl right here, and then there's this, they have a menorah here. You know, the seven, remember the seven prongs, seven, seven armed lampstand that you often see in Jewish communities. Now the other one is two, two olive trees, the golden pipes that come in, fill the bowl, but and on the, it's on the edges that you have these, these lamps. So in, in each case, these uh, artists tried, but they, they missed some of the details that are here in the text. Okay, when you have, um, <clears throat> when you have the number seven, it's the number of completion or perfection in Scripture. So here are seven lamps, each one with seven filling pipes or spouts that is described, and, and I'm going... I, I don't see that, in my, even in my mind. I tried to sketch it. I tried to go, it's a bowl, and then each one of these has seven f- filling stations, as it were, for each one of these lamps. Okay? Now, in the ancient world, okay, uh, there was harvest seasons. You had to wait for the, the, new, the fresh olive oil. But when you have those pipes flowing from those trees, that speaks of perpetual supply. <clears throat> Now, every household in the ancient East had oil lamps in some fashion. We would have flashlights. We would have candles. You know, the power goes off. We're back to the Stone Age with that flashlight. Um, now, if you take your left hand and you cup it and you extend it, and you take your right palm and flatten it, and you put it kind of two-thirds of the way over the top of that, that's about the size of those little ancient terracotta uh, handheld oil lamps. And the top of the, on the top was a hole that you used to fill it with olive oil. The front had a spout that, in which you could insert a wick, and the bottom was flat. So you could carry it around, or you could set it on a shelf, and it wouldn't roll off. <clears throat> the lamps that are spoken about in Scripture are often reminiscent of the lamp stands in both the tabernacle and in the, the Solomon's temple. And they were, you know, it was that huge lit golden lampstand and every day early early in the morning the priest had to come in and refill the lamp stands and recheck the wicks so that at no time was the was the lamp extinguished now uh, the original shape of that is sort of like that modern menorah the seven that seven branch thing but um, in the exile period with the remnant in Judah, that particular batch of history, that seven-pronged, if you will, type of lampstand was really rare. 
It just, it, they've, they've hunted, they've dug, they've looked, they don't find it. Okay? <clears throat> Another suggestion might be, and this one's mine, okay, is that the center post of that lampstand that Zechariah saw was like a tree trunk. And it was solid gold, okay, and there is a large bowl on top into which those, those pipes flow from the olive trees. And beneath it are seven smaller bowls. And around the edge of those smaller bowls are like pinched little spouts, pouring spouts. You know, all your, in your, in your cookware, if you will, your measuring cups have that little spout on it. So this would, every one of those little bowls, smaller bowls, would have seven spots, seven spouts. And into each one of those spouts was inserted a wick. And when all those wicks were lit, you would have had 49 lights burning at the same time. And it would have been dazzling because it's solid gold and you've got these lamps that are just all lit at the same time. So when you see Zechariah soon, ask him what he saw. Have him explain it to you. So the interpreting angel says to Zechariah, do you know what these are? Now, Zechariah answers in the negative. He just kind of goes, no, I really, I really don't know what they are. Now, obviously, he knew what a lamp was, the lampstand, and he knew about olive trees. But what he didn't know was, what does this mean? In verse 6, the angel answers him with the interpretation. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Now here we got to introduce to this man, Zerubbabel. Uh, he appears in the books of Ezra and, the, and, um, and Haggai. He's the governor who... Um, who was set to serve over Judah, but under a provincial leader, as part of the Persian governance of the region. He and Joshua, the high priest, had returned with the remnant uh, under the decree of Cyrus some 17 years previous. And Zerubbabel had char- was charged with the, the construction of the temple. In 536 BC, he oversaw the laying of the foundations of the temple to rebuild in the midst of Jerusalem. Now picture Jerusalem is a pile of rubble. The, the gates are burned out. The walls are knocked down. So he's trying to rebuild this, this temple to the Lord God in the midst of devastation. <clears throat> so he lays the foundations, but immediately he got some pushback because the intermarried peoples who had stayed in the land, they ducked the, the captivity and married. and They'd been there for 75 years or so. They didn't want that temple to succeed. They wanted that building process, pro, uh, the project to fail. <clears throat> and, and, they, and they pushed on it and pushed on it. The construction stalled and then stopped. And 16 years pass. Then the Lord of hosts sends his word to the governor, Zerubbabel. <clears throat> and what he said was, this construction was to be done by the Spirit of God alone. The human zeal, human strength, human resources and passion, human workforce. It's not going to get the job done. Verse 7 continues with the word to Zerubbabel. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become a plain, and he will bring forth the top stone, the capstone, with shouts of grace, grace to it. So this opposition to Zerubbabel as a leader to, to build out the temple to the Lord Um, was pictured here as a mighty mountain and it was insurmountable in the natural. The Lord of hosts says that that mountain, that opposition will be leveled. It's going to be just 
plowed down, flattened, made null and void. Isaiah 40 says, Every valley will be raised up, every mountain and hill will be made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. So a number of, of prophets spoke about that business of there's, there's in-your-face opposition and the Lord of hosts is going to flatten it. <clears throat> Verses 8 and 9, Zechariah speaks out of what he has heard from the Lord. So here again, Zechariah steps into this vision and he repeats to, you know, has written down what he's going to say to the people. He says, And the word of the Lord came to me saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of the house and his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. Now, at that moment in time in Judah, the finishing of the temple uh, and its build-out was a far distant proposition. <clears throat> but Zechariah says, here's what the Lord said to me, and when it comes to pass, you will know that the Lord of hosts sent me to you. <clears throat> he continues in verse 10 with, for who has despised the day of small things? These seven will be glad when they see the plumb line on the hand of Zerubbabel, these are the eyes of the Lord which range to and fro throughout the earth. So the band of builders in Jerusalem were inadequate. As were the builders of the wall under Nehemiah 70 years later. In each case, the Lord points out, as he does in Amos and Haggai, having a small group or a small nation or a small church matters little to the Lord of hosts if his favor is on them. When I pastored in a coastal town 20 years ago, uh, I was paired up with some elders who were already in place in that church. And uh, at that time, I, I, was really, uh, I was really concerned for the fact that the, uh, our little congregation was surrounded by, by 40,000 who did not know the Lord. And... Uh, so I would, I would talk about it. I would pray about it in their presence. I would lay out plans with them. And none of that clicked with them at that time. <clears throat> they were committed to retention, to retaining the small congregation we had. We don't want to lose anybody. We don't want to do anything crazy. Just let's, you know, us four and no more. You know, that's almost the attitude. And this verse here was repeatedly used to tone me down, slow me down, and shut me up. Um, don't despise the day of small beginnings was how it was spoken, which is way out of the context of Zechariah. <clears throat> now, remember that the eyes on the stone facets of the stone that was set before Joshua, we, we did not have an interpretation for that. Nobody knows, nobody in verse 3 can, can explain that. Well, here, verse 4 comes along, I mean, chapter 4 comes along, and there it is. The Lord is the one who provides the interpretation. And he says... These seven are the eyes of the Lord. And these eyes rejoice when Zerubbabel takes the plumb stone in his hand to finish dressing that stone face. Any of you who want to know if it's straight up and down, you just take a, take a rock and hang it on the end of a string and let it hang and settle, and you'll know right away I'm out of compliance or I'm, it's dead straight up and down. And the eyes of the Lord that range over the whole earth here there's, those are references in Second Chronicles, Proverbs 15, Jeremiah 16, all refer to the eyes of the Lord. <clears throat> Verses 11 and 12, Zechariah gets around to asking about the two olive trees that bracket the gold lampstand. And what makes them so special? Because there are olive trees all over Israel. Now, in the, 
in the, this passage, you can translate branches uh, with the word um, clusters in, in, in either case. Um, these two olive trees were perpetually fruitful. They didn't have a season where they were out of, you know, there were always ripe olives ready, and, and the oil flowed perpetually, sending fresh gold and oil into the top bowl through a pipe that ran from the clusters into that bowl. Zechariah, he, Zechariah sees it, but does not know what it means. So he asks, the interpreting angel following the two, what do these mean questions from Zechariah asks him, do you know what these are? So you've got three of the same sort of questions stacked. In the scriptures, when you have the same phrases or the same word that's used in the same passage or right next to each other, it amplifies, it adds to, it multiplies, it goes logarithmic. It's, now you've got not two, but three. And so it's possible that this question, what does this mean, lifts it to an unprecedented level, perhaps even to the third heaven. It is still beyond Zechariah. So again, he answers, no, I don't understand, my Lord. Verse 14 explains the meaning of the olive trees for Zechariah and for all of Judah. But they're left in place in prophecy only to be referenced again 612 years later in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 2 has two olive trees and two witnesses of the Lord God where they are prophesied of again. You know, they're laid down again in the scriptures. So here, here are two sons of oil, if you will. Uh, It's the literal reading on it. It's two men who have been anointed. Those two are Joshua and Zerubbabel, and they stand beside the Lord. There's one last little bit of history that needs to be added to for this insight. Uh, Jehoiachin. Jehoiachin was crowned king of Judah and he reigned three months and then he and his entire city and nation were swept up by the Babylonians and he was taken into captivity with his whole family. His presence in Babylon has subsequently been confirmed by archaeologists because they dug up, they did an archaeological dig at the Ishtar gate of ancient Babylon and there were these stacks, piles, there was libraries of these cuneiform tablets. They were, they were clay tablets that had been almost dried and then a scribe had come through and had written in Urdu or <laughs> some language that they were functioning with on the tablet. And it said, this man Jehoiachin and his sons were listed as captives and got the food dole that was coming to them. Now get this. He was the last of the Davidic line to sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem. His grandson was Zerubbabel, making him a legitimate prince who was serving as a governor for the Persians over the city and lands that were his inheritance. His name in Hebrew means birthed in Babylon or bred in Babylon. And it's thought that he also had a Babylonian name, Sheshbazzar. Obviously, the fiery furnace of Babylonian captivity and the curse that was uttered by Jeremiah that the throne of David would be vacated. No one would again sit on that throne until Messiah. Okay? Obviously, that that experience 
and that curse had, had just driven the aspirations for leadership right out of Zerubbabel. Nevertheless, he's identified as one of the anointed ones standing beside the Lord of the whole earth. Now this phrase, Lord of the whole earth, is not a common one in Scripture. It shows up in the book of Joshua. It shows up in Haggai. And now here, here it is in Zechariah. Now we have lots of names for the Lord. I've just never heard this one lifted in, in, in teaching or in worship or anyplace else. Yeah, it's Haaretz, the whole earth, the Lord of that. He, he is over all of it. And obviously, he has, he has eyes that rove to and fro. His omniscience and omnipotence are fully in hand here in this prophetic passage. All right, family. Last week, we saw that the Lord unilaterally cleansed Joshua, the high priest. You just strip him down, get that filth off of him, dress him up in radiant robes, put on the, the, the miter, put on the turban. Okay? And, and he charged him to walk in his ways and fulfill all the duties of the priest. Now, beyond Joshua, the Lord sets about cleansing all of Judah through the prophetic ministry of Zechariah. This week, the focus shifts, and it's on the marketplace the mountain of government, if you will. Zerubbabel, a priest by lineage and a governor by assignment, is encouraged by the Lord of hosts that he will indeed finish the temple construction. Further, the Lord anoints and stands Zerubbabel and Joshua alongside of him. Now, please recognize that each of us who knows the Lord personally, who's claimed Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we come and sit with the Lord in heavenly places. That, that, is, our, that is our divine right. Uh, we too are, are daughters and sons of the king, making us princes. Princesses. Okay? So, the point here being, um, <clears throat> we, we have the opportunity to walk toward our destiny with him, pouring out his fresh spirit on us as well. Now, in this case, Joshua and Zerubbabel, wherever one is mentioned, the other is mentioned. They're together. Okay? And so they're sort of locked at the hip as they walk through these years of ministry. One at the priesthood, one is an administrator. Now, how many of you have that kind of partner? Someone who walks with you, gives you counsel, listens when you speak, goes, hey, that's Israel. I got it. See, that's great when that works in a marriage. But I'm not talking marriage. I'm talking someone who can be a mentor, someone who can be a partner in ministry, someone who has complementary gifts, who sees what you don't see and, and can get in your ear and say, hey, this is what's going on. I have the discernment for this. And the answer then is, together we can, we can function. So if you don't have one of those, ask for it. Ask the Lord of glory for that kind of partner. Now let's go back to the anointing for the marketplace. Um, <clears throat> I didn't know Amber was going to be with us again today. But uh, she showed up at our door with flowers for Janice for her birthday and then paused and said, oh, I'm having so much fun learning how to pray for people out uh, in the marketplace. And she talked about stopping outside of Rite Aid. And here's three elderly women, one with a cane. And she says, oh, could I pray for you? And all three of them go, oh, yes. And she prays for them, and one of them is weeping, walking away. She's crying. 
Okay? And then today, when she's in my car on the way to church, she says, oh, I've been praying for more people. Okay, that is a great assignment in the marketplace. But some of your assignments are as moms and teachers. Okay? Some of you are assigned to be students. Yeah, some of you are in the, in the scrum of, of business. And in that, in that place, what you want is to walk before the Lord in righteousness and do what he calls you to do. In the case of, of uh, <clears throat> Joshua, he was called to be a priest, so he knew the order of the service. In the case of Zerubbabel, he knew he had to administer and answer to a higher authority. <clears throat> in either case, okay, we, we can see that, that light expels darkness. You open your mouth, or you live in front of someone, and you shine because your lamps are lit. And it's visible. Now, it doesn't always happen instantly like we want. Okay? Zerubbabel had to wait four more years. And it wasn't a wait. It was labor. Four more years of putting stone on stone, a little mortar, a little plumb line. It took him four years to finish the build out of the temple. And in our case, we've all had words spoken over us for individual destiny, maybe some prophetic things that just have not come to pass yet. All right? So... My word to you today is wake up, lift your chin, lift your eyes, you know, open, open your eyes to say, what is it, Lord, that you want me to see? Because that's what the angel said to Zechariah. What do you see? Okay. <clears throat> Maybe some of us need to put a light switch in your pocket or in your purse. And just as a, a placement of your faith, you turn that switch on. You just kind of go, okay, Lord, I'm on. I'm on assignment. I'm available to you. I want your light to shine. I want it to be visible for the world around me. Turn on that light. The Lord will perpetually keep the oil of his spirit flowing as you trust him for resources. All right, let's pray. King of all creation, we bow to you as Lord. Now, you're not just Lord here. Lord, you're Lord over all the earth. Thank you for giving us mentors, encouragers, teachers, those who walk beside us in the way. Large part of that, Lord, are parents. You know, praise God for them, for which we're just, are, we're just grateful, Lord. Supply what parents need. Lord, uh, we know that heaven has a plan, and we want to participate in that. We want to present ourselves in the rightful way, and in the rightful time, in the rightful place, and say, here am I, Lord. Send me. In Jesus' name, amen.